Well, the youth crime problem in Australia has reached an absolute death knell, hasn't it? With a young kid as old as 16 now charged with the murder of uh, a woman in Brisbane, a grandmother, 70 years old, stabbed to death in front of her six-year-old granddaughter. It's just absolutely appalling. And it would appear that 16 is towards the top end of the age bracket of these kids committing serious crimes. And you've heard on this program, kids as young as eight and nine roaming the streets uh, in gangs, also breaking into houses, stealing cars. We've got kids who have died in car crashes, stolen cars, and the governments are still trying to work out what to do. Tougher penalties, um, a tougher judiciary. Um, Do we release kids on bail if they've got three or four charges up their sleeve, Uh, especially if those charges that they're awaiting court on of violent crimes? Do we put on ankle tracking devices? Is that going to work? Um, renowned child psychologist is Dr. Michael Carr, Greg, who's a great friend of this program here on The Night Shift. He and I have spoken uh, together for many, many years now, and he's back on the phone. Dr. Michael Carr, Greg, always good to talk to you. Good evening. It's a worry. It's a real worry. How do kids as young as eight and nine end up on the streets uh, doing this sort of thing? Look, it's an enormous uh, problem, and if there was a simple solution, uh, it would have been enacted now. Uh, we know that the causes of this are varied, and we're talking about family environment, we're talking about community dynamics, we're talking about the education system, employment opportunities, uh, and of course, don't forget the role of violence as entertainment in the media. Right. Do you believe a lot of these kids are influenced by social media, uh, violent video games, etc., violent movies? I think that's a component. I think it tends to normalise, glamorise, and to a large extent sanitise uh, violence. And um, I think that the... Uh, kids that we see doing the um, break-ins, the aggravated burglary, a lot of them uh, don't seem to have a sensitivity to violence or empathy for a lot of the people whose lives they're disrupting. The thing is, I'm an old-fashioned parent, and and, and maybe you'll jump on me for this, but my kids were growing up, if there were rules and they were broken, there were consequences. And I think that the frustrating thing for a lot of my listeners is we see these child offenders facing court, being released, offending again, and there doesn't seem to be any real set of consequences. Why wouldn't you keep breaking the law if nothing happens? That's the, that's the way people are thinking. Yeah, I'm not going to jump on you. I think that's a, a perfectly reasonable problem. The, the issue is that a lot of the factors that cause young people to do what they're doing are not best addressed within the criminal justice system. They're actually best addressed outside of the criminal justice system, but the, that that particular part um, is broken. So our mental health, our well-being, our rehabilitation services, our drug and alcohol service for young people just don't get enough funding. So I can quite understand the outrage of someone who is a victim of these crimes thinking, Mm. well, why aren't they just locked up and you throw away the key? The problem is that quite often you end up making them better criminals 
and that doesn't serve anybody. But you have uh, young offenders like the young man, 16-year-old last week, who uh, the police said to, when he went to court to the magistrate, please refuse bail. He's, al- he's out on bail. He's already he committed that crime out on bail, facing serious armed robbery charges. The magistrate gave him bail. And look at what happened. Don't know the um, circumstances and uh, neither do most of the, the commentators, but clearly something went wrong. Um, and there have been a number of very high-profile cases where people have been let out on bail and then uh, proceeded to uh, uh, perform criminal acts. Quite often, um, there's an influence of drug and alcohol. Um, quite often, there's serious psychological problems. And, you know, you're talking to a psychologist, so I'm obviously going to go to the psychology of this situation. Clearly, this uh, it, these individuals who commit crimes have issues they need to be addressed and you don't address them um, by just granting them bail uh, necessarily without very, very specific conditions. Dr. Mike, um, and it's not happening. Yeah, Dr. Michael Carr, Greg, is with us, child and adolescent psychologist, renowned child psychologist here on the night shift. Um, if we could move to another topic now, because I know your time is very precious um, the great Australian co-education debate is fired up at the moment. Um, it's uh, It's been fired up basically because one of Australia's oldest Catholic schools is preparing to enrol girls at St Mary's Cathedral College. And this comes on the back end of last year, the announcement that Newington College, another elite old school, is changing the rules and going to become co-ed. And, and some parents are really up in arms about it. And more and more schools are becoming co-ed. I guess maybe it's an economic thing too. I mean, why run two schools when you can only need really to have to run one? But parents are are screaming because the nearest single-sex school to to their home is not in their drawing area and it's causing angst. So here's my question for you, Dr. Michael Carr, Greg. In your opinion, what's better for the students academically? Is it a co-ed school? Is it a single-sex school or do girls and boys do different at either? Okay, from a research perspective, and it's very important that your listeners get this, there's no clear evidence to support single-sex education as superior to co-educational education. Many of these big schools are simply uh, market-driven. And the reality is that um, a lot of um, Australians are thinking, I, I need to uh, send my kid to a co-educational institution and uh, the enrolments for those single-sex schools, the traditional ones, were falling. And so I think this is very much a response to what the market wants. Because there's always been a theory I heard that girls do better in single-sex schools because boys mature at a slower rate. The girls mature obviously a little bit quicker and they're ready to knuckle down, try and study. And the boys are going through adolescence and growing pimples and showing off and, 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 and are being a distraction to the girls. That was a theory I'd heard years ago. That is true. Uh, this no doubt that boys uh, mature later. Um, that's neurologically a fact. Um, but there is the psychology of individual difference. And what we get is there's some boys that thrive in single-sex schools. There's some girls that thrive in single-sex schools. Um, 
And there's some kids that it doesn't matter where you send them, uh, they'll do very, very well. The reality is that um, boys, uh, I think, when paired with girls in schools, there's a little bit of a civilizing impact on those boys. And therefore, the boys benefit, but I'm not sure that necessarily the girls do. But the real world is co-ed. There are men and women, boys and girls that live together in the real world. If you have gone to a single-sex school through primary, uh, infant school, primary school, high school, when you finally leave, aren't you going to find it difficult to adapt? Well, I went to a single-sex school, and um, I think my school went to extraordinary lengths to make sure with joint uh, drama productions and um, outings that they had arranged that certainly in year 11 and 12, we had exposure to the opposite sex. So that's one solution. The other is what's known as twinning. And there's uh, two independent schools in Melbourne that I can think of that are right next door to each other, a boys and girls school. And in year 11 and 12, they share classes. So I think what you've said is true. And I think that schools are trying to do something about it. Can I just tell you something for you? And this is only my observation, okay? My observation. I went to an all-boys school, Narrabeen Boys High. Then I was sent to boarding school for two years, Chevalier in Barrel. Now, the first year at Chev, it was a very old boys, old Thai school. Where I was going, I was boarding with boys whose fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers had been there. And there was a tradition of bullying. It was, it was rife. And it was encouraged. And it was overlooked by the faculty. The next year, which was 1977, the school went co-ed. And I've got to tell you this, the whole mood of the school softened. Just an observation. Yep. So, um, obviously, if you've got, and I went to one of those single-sex boys' schools where um, at lunchtime, if there was a fight, your job was to form a circle and chant Fight, fight, fight. Yes, yes, probably yes. Probably had the same thing. No one did anything to uh, to break up the fights, and uh, that was just the law of the jungle. Uh, and you know, a lot of kids were extremely damaged by that in the short, medium, and long term. Mm. No question about it. Mm. Uh, I think our threshold of tolerance to bullying has dropped significantly in both boys and girls schools now, and that's largely because the law requires schools to provide a safe environment for kids to learn in. Don't think we had that in our day. I think that's a shame. But certainly now, if there's uh, um, uh, an untoward episode in schools, first of all, it's all over the papers. And secondly, it's likely to be filmed um, as opposed to our day when we we couldn't uh, record anything. Quickly, just your observation on this. These fights, and you see them on the news because every child is videoing it on their phone. And they can't wait to upload it and, 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 and become famous on the, on the Channel 7 News that night. But is the fighting and the bullying and these, these brawls, is it worse at boys' schools or girls' schools? Do you know? I think it's a different type of bullying. So the girl bullying that I've observed is more relational. So there's ostracism. There's a lot of cyberbullying, a lot of teasing and taunting, uh, whereas traditionally – a lot of the boy stuff tended to be more physical um, and uh, obviously more more uh, damaging um, to to a person. 
uh, and property potentially. But I think what we've got now is um, part of the uh, state government's move to remove phones from schools from first bell to last, which I think is a very good move. Um, that reduces the lot, the opportunity mm. for these kids to film what they do. Yeah, you, you and I have talked about the phones at school theme uh, before. And look, you and I always have a lot to talk about. I enjoy our chats, Dr. Michael Carr, Greg. And thank you so much for your time. How about you and I talk again soon? Look forward to it. Dr. Michael Carr, Greg, renowned child and adolescent psychologist here on The Night Shift on Triple M.